And the traffic officer told me this. He said it was the weirdest um, crime scene that he'd ever gone to. It was very strange, and it turned out that this guy was connected with, with Lady Diana in, in an intimate way. Bang, taken out. For anyone to say that these things don't happen, well, it's absolute nonsense. They do happen. I know I'm living testimony of, of how far the police will go, and that's that's nothing to do with intelligence services. They will go further. Now, the police had extraterritorial jurisdiction on this case, with along with the multi-agency MAPA teams, the social services, and CAPCAS and things like that, they could have implemented an investigation, a multi-agency investigation into this family, what actually happened, because we're looking at there's an abandonment. As a parent, I was a single parent, and I went aboard my kids, I never did that, and I would definitely never leave two infant children alone. No way, no way. Have they not even heard of cot death? It wouldn't happen. I'm gonna let you in on something now. So again, I've got to be very careful with what I say. But I did work with an officer that was senior in investigation on that. And he said to me, if anyone thinks it was an accident, they're an idiot. And he said, the public gets what the public wants. The public wanted this inquiry. It's a waste of time. And a lot of the evidence, he said, is that it was so well rehearsed. And that, and, I, and I was told that um, on no circumstances was they to uh, get Paul Burrell into the stand. There was a lot of briefings. I think John Stevens was the commissioner at the time and we would have a lot of meetings with the teams and with the um, Michael Mansfield regarding the evidence. But yeah, one of the one of the senior officers in that case, you know, I forget what I say, he did say to me once, you know, in a quiet conversation, if anyone thinks that that woman was um, uh, died in an accident, they're an idiot. So darling. Right down. Oh yes, I can see your wings. Big smile. <laughs> oh, yes. One more. Big smile. That's pretty. Hello. We have got one of our most viral and requested and censored guests. Oh, my goodness. The battle that John has gone through throughout his life to take down these people who do heinous things to younger people. Unbelievable. And you'd think everybody in the world would be behind him, but he's had campaigns, death threats, all kinds of madness in his life. Yet he continues on with a pure soul, exposing these abominable characters, so many of whom seem to be in high society. But we are banned from talking about that. Today, we're going to talk about the Madeleine McCann case. And we're also going to touch on Princess Diana as well. So huge thank you for coming back, John. What must be about your sixth time? Yeah, it's a few now. Yeah, it's a few now. And, and, you know, I've said this before in interviews we've done in the past, Sean, that the one thing about this topic is you'll never prove wrong. And all it is is timing. And some of the things, you know, that we've been censored for in the past or that have caused this sort of um, obtuse reaction is because we was really unfashionably out of time with it. And, uh, and, you know, and as things have moved on, you know, we've been proven right. And especially with what we've seen in the media, 
with regards to police cover-ups involving, you know, uh, sexual offending within the police force and their reasons for covering up. And it, and it was quite interesting because um, one one of the interviews, I, I'm not sure whether it was with yourself or, or with someone else that, that I mentioned about uh, th this guy, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, he's just gone down for the murder of Sarah Everard. Uh, 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 Wayne Cousins. I can't remember his name. Wayne Cousins. Yeah, Wayne, Wayne Cousins. You, you know, and I and I said in this interview that basic level of, of profiling, the sort of profiling that you know, like Corinne Hutzabart, um advises businesses on, and and those that are involved in safeguarding, it's base level standard, you know, one hundred and one type um, profiling, which. A lot of these corporate entities that, that you know they do use psychometric testing in their in their questioning, so they can uh, evaluate their clients. Um, and one of the, the really interesting facts about it is that when someone uh, takes a job, and later on they defraud the company, their employer, they they find out that ninety percent of those that end up in that circumstance have decided to defraud their employer at the interview stage. So right from its inception, you know, this negative intention is there. And I no doubt it would have been the same for those that offend sexually and especially those that use their position to offend sexually, like, like we've seen with Wayne Cousins and David Carrick. Very, very similar MOs, very similar sort of um, policing uh, history that they've got. They were both in the same occupation, um, uh, command unit, you know, this... Uh, uh, diplomatic protection thing you know that macho ego stuff so it wouldn't have taken much for them to have implemented at the early stages some sort of psychometric testing with a little bit of base level uh, profiling that would have weeded them out and like i have said on your show in the past it's, you know the most dangerous of offenders will display what might be seen as quite innocent behavior and one of them is flashing you know flashing you know their genitals at, at the members of public now this is different to, to drunken guys dropping their trousers and a bit of laddish banter and it is totally different and and i mentioned this and i've mentioned it with yourself and with others in the past now what was really really interesting was that the the new commissioner mark rowley of the metropolitan police who i must say that i have confidence in this guy and this guy did actually back my campaigning um and I've got the paperwork to prove that this guy because he signed off my pension. So in my opinion, this is a good guy, not for personal reasons, but for, you know, societal reasons. And this shows how important podcasts, you know, with people like myself on, on your show that it is because he made a comment which was almost word for word what i'd said on on previous podcasts so i know that these things do get listened to and then they do gauge public opinion and it would also be the job of the intelligence services and and false intelligence officers because having served as one of these fios in the past our job would be to to look through the newspapers and the media and get a gauge on what's going on in society and they definitely do it when it comes to sort of the gang culture you know if you look back years ago there was that film called colors i don't know if you remember about the la street gangs and um, part of the the thing the, the old 
uh, wise old Wiley Coppo, detective said, I think Sean Penn was the rookie cop, whether was read the writing on the wall, read the graffiti, and it will give you the landscape of what you're dealing with. And, and they're called tension indicators. And I know that they would do them in Northern Ireland as well. They'd have officers, intelligence officers, both civilian force and, and uh, military, would go out there and they would gauge the tension by the graffiti. You know, and graffiti really is a thing in the past. We still get it, but it's, it, it was a way of getting the message out. Social media is a form of digital graffiti now. So you, you, you've only got to really look at what people are following to gauge where we are. I mean, you've only got to look at... Um, oh, sorry, I've just rubbed a, a load of uh, a dirt on my face. Look at uh, what has happened to, to this guy, Andrew Tate, and, you know, this meteoric rise that he had um, via social media and then the issues that he was obviously causing those that want to govern it, you know. Um, and you can tell with what, what we've spoken about in the past how we have been censored. They don't want yeah, and, and Kareen was censored as well, and... I'm putting slowly putting all my censored content on my Rumble channel. So if any viewers want to watch stuff that's banned with John and my stuff with Kareen, it'll be on the Rumble channel. So today, John, we're going to start out with McCann. There was, you know, there was some recent uh, news there pertaining to the the lady that did the DNA test that failed. But before we go there, then when that case first broke, and there's so many theories about what happened when that case first broke, what was your interpretation of it? Um, it, it was one of them things that you take it on face value because a kid's gone missing and it's like, well, a kid's gone missing. Now, we've got to look statistically in the United Kingdom, every three minutes a child goes missing. No way. And this, and this is where you have to keep a balance because when you put out on on some of, the, and, you know, some of the people that I've spoken to in the past, they think that every time a kid goes missing, it's been abducted for some sort of, ritualistic purpose or for the government to extract adrenochrome uh, and so you get this sublimation of an attitude because you know with, with that conspiracy theorist mindset people do tend to, to to miss out the reasonability of an argument straight away right the way up you know this is being used for, for harvesting and all this but it's not the case now the majority of kids that go missing come home now I gave evidence at the recent government inquiry, the Independent Investigation to Child Sexual Abuse, the IICSA, which was a government-run uh, inquiry which, which spanned nearly eight years. And five points of my evidence, I and I was recognised as, as one of the people that gave the largest statement. My statement was something like 52 pages, the original one. And it was all to do with, miss, a lot of it was to do with missing people, missing children. And most of them come home. Now, I'm not saying that kids don't go missing, and they do, you know, and a lot of the, the street kids do go missing. And we do have them in this country, street kids. Believe you me, I've spoken to many survivors of abuse who lived on the streets, especially that in, in the West End. But there's always a reason for everything, right? So kids on the street, there wasn't money to be had through fostering and, and placements and looked after care and all that, whereas there is now. So there is money in it now. So, so back then there wasn't. That's why the kids were on the street. Now there's money. you just got to follow the money. That's all you've got to do. So these kids will be put into these care homes and they go missing. 
but they go missing for the purposes of crime. And that was my argument to the government. That was my point to government. They go missing for the purpose of crime. And that crime is sexual exploitation, prostitution, whatever you want to term it, it's the same thing. And it's just what is on vogue, you know, politically correct to say at the time. But they do come back. Now, there are instances where kids die, and I dealt with two cases where children died suspiciously, especially in the investigation I was in. So it does, it does happen, right? And again, with these kids, they would tend to go missing on a, on a Thursday, as we mentioned before, and they'll come back on a Monday or a Tuesday once the, that weekend period's gone where they would be used for, for the sex industry. However, um, I had an incident the other day locally. Uh, the alarm was raised. There was two kids from the estate where I live in were playing uh under the block of flats and um the little girl went missing she's 10 years old and the little boy's gone back said he doesn't know where um his sister is uh fatima or something like that they're a, a moroccan family and the mum come down and she was in a panic and she said john john shall i call the police and i went no because she'd only been missing 10 minutes now i know there's this the golden hour rule that in the first hour that's when you glean your most evidence and all that but most kids come back and it turned out that this girl was just hiding. They were playing hide and seek. She went missing. So had I not been there, mother would have called the police. And, and so that would have been one of the, and we got to look at child abductions. Now, stranger abduction is incredibly rare. It's almost a negligible amount of time it goes on. They do happen and we're not weighing them out. But if you put, all your emphasis on, on, on the anomalies in crime, then, you know, you're going to really be wasting most of your time. Okay. So you do get cases like Jamie Bolger, like Sarah Payne, who go missing and then they turn up dead, which is a tragedy, but they're few and far between. Okay. So to say every missing kid is a Jamie Bolger or a Sarah Payne is, is basically very much unrational to say that and to say that a stranger abducts a child again is incredibly rare I'm not saying it doesn't happen but it's incredibly rare most of it is is with, with some sort of um familial dispute some sort of acrimonious relationship that's gone awry and that accounts for 99 percent of child abductions and in the uk there are 500 of them a year okay so 500 cases go but, but on the whole, it is resolved via the family courts. You know, the police will get involved because there are offences of child abduction. Um, and then, so this is, now what was interesting with the Madeleine McCann was that there were two parallel cases going on at the same time. So you had Madeleine McCann who went missing in, in the Algarve region of Portugal from a white middle-class professional family. And at the same time, you had the case of Shannon Matthews which went missing on a council estate in the north of England to a dysfunctional, broken, white family of the lower classes. Um, and, you know, Shannon Matthews' one was just a, a real case of total dysfunctionality. It was, you know, um, they were hiding the kid and the mum's boyfriend turned out to be a sex offender and, mm. and all sorts of craziness was going on. And there would have been a massive history... Uh, with the social services and, and multi-agency intervention with, with that family. 
the McCanns was very, very different. These were very, very connected people. They're both doctors, anaesthetists. Again, we've got to look at that thing. They were anaesthetists, right? Um, uh, there was links because Jerry McCann knew Gordon Brown. And I think there was even, I might be wrong, but uh, I know that Gordon Brown did know Thomas Hamilton. And Thomas Hamilton, as, as we might recall, was the Dunblane murderer. Uh, you know, the massacre of the, you know, the child. So very bizarre connections there. Um, there was also rumours, and again, we, you, we're going into speculative uh, sort of territory here, rumours that the McCanns were involved in, in this sort of uh, pr uh, pastime of swinging. Again, that's a rumour, but, you know, that has been sort of flung out there that, um, you know, uh, and, and the Tapas Seven were of like-minded sort of ilk. Um, again, I don't know this for a fact. It's just something that I'm relaying. Uh, you know, we got Concalves, the, the detective, who, you know, there was no blight on his policing career. This was a, a fully functioning, uh, you know, crime detective who went on to write not just one but two books, and he refused to stand down. So this is a man of resilience. He didn't give up at the first hurdle and a lot of people when they're in the wrong and of course examine they will give up because they know what they've got is a lie and he refused to and he, he was trashed and and he was denigrated and demonized which a lot of whistleblowers go through and myself being one of them you know they will the first thing they've got to do is discredit you because i can't have you having any credibility you know and then it's a war of attrition when you take on any sort of establishment, it's a war of attrition, and they have the, the time, the money, and the resources to fight it, whereas you haven't. And even if you take it down the civil legal remedy, a lot of the lawyers will, will, will back away because they'll, they'll turn around halfway and say, look, if you don't give up now and accept a settlement, if you want to see it through, then you're not going to have us covering you um, on, on an insurance level for legal costs, which, which are going to go into the hundreds of thousands for even the simplest of cases so that's how they they buy your silence and a lot of people their bottle goes and they they can't they can't cope with it so it's all a game of poker you know with these people but you know we've got to look at kate mccann here and she was interviewed um things that really stuck in my throat uh, with this was that the, the average money spent by police on a missing person case, right, is um, one, one and a half thousand pound. Right? That's the average money spent on a missing person case is one and a half thousand pound. Okay, so why has 13 million pound been spent by the government, by the Home Office, on Madeleine McCann and I'm telling you now and I'm telling your audience now Madeleine McCann will never ever be found in my opinion she died in that flat um my analysis of it I think there is a familial involvement in this um I think I think that the, the, the child was anesthetized which would tie in with the and again pure speculation I'm not uh, going any any further than that with this and um the family have covered it up now, what we're looking at is, you know, um, had this gone any further? Now, if you commit as a UK citizen an offence abroad, which would 
be an offence in the UK, you can stand um, investigation and prosecution in the UK when you return. Um, and, and that come under a, a thing called the uh, Istanbul Convention. All right. And so it's to do with e extraterritorial jurisdiction. Now, the police had extraterritorial jurisdiction on this case. And they could have, with, along with the multi-agency MAPA teams, the social services um, and CAFCAS and things like that, they could have implemented an investigation uh, a multi-agency investigation into this family, what actually happened, because we're looking at there's an abandonment uh, offence here. That kid was abandoned, uh, you know, um, left alone. In, bear in mind, this is a child-friendly country in a child-friendly resort. So whenever you go abroad to Spain and you go uh, or Portugal or Malta or any of these Mediterranean venues, you always see children out running, playing. You, you know, there's no main road there for the kids to get run over or rabid dogs walking about. It's definitely for India. It's not so, so much a case. But if you go to these places, they're catered for children. There is no need to, to imprison your children um, in a room while you go on the lash. There, there isn't none whatsoever um yet they did and then they had this thing where they would check on each other well what's the point of doing that you might as well all go into someone's apartment or the veranda and, and have a drink there and have the kids there so you can see them as a parent i was a single parent and i went aboard my kids i never did that and i would definitely never leave two infant children alone no way no way have they not even heard of cot death it wouldn't happen uh with another girl and it that didn't make any sense to me whatsoever um i i couldn't compute that one now um if kate mccann has anesthetized that little girl saying allegedly that, allegedly i've got to say allegedly saying, yeah saying that is the scenario right so let's look would she have had access to to the that sort of medication well maybe as an anesthetist that answer is yes Maybe. Well, are you, on about, are you on about the cowpole? Not just cowpole. This could be some sort of um, prescribed medication that would do the job. Because bear in mind, she is an anaesthetist. That is her game, knocking people out. And, and some of the people that she would have to knock out would have been children. So she would know the parameters medically where to go. I'm just putting it out there. Now, here's another thing. Here's another thing. And this is, again, I'm not pointing the finger at anyone, but I'm putting out a scenario. What if Madeleine McCann was a victim of abuse? What if? And her body was found. She had been anesthetized. The police came, did their job, took the baby, made the crime scene, took the poor little girl's uh, you know, body away, it would be then subject to to the uh, coronial side of an investigation, which is a coroner's side of it, right? So we're now talking after death post-mortem. So the police's jurisdiction will stop and the coroner will jump in. Now, the coroner will have jurisdiction that body. And with a child, with a, such a suspicious death as it would be, that would warrant there's two types of autopsy. There's a standard post-mortem, and then, then there is a special post-mortem. 
Now, as a detective that has worked on very similar cases, there is no two ways about it. This would have come to the attention of the specialist child abuse investigation teams, which I would have thought Portugal have in abundance. Uh, any sort of progressive Western society would have. And then that would have then uh, prompted a special post-mortem, which would have been the full bells and whistles, and they would have then cut that child from from throat right the way down to the bottom of the thorax and everything else. And it would have included looking at, at you know, the, the lower regions, you know, the orifices and things like that. Now, what if, pure speculation, that that then flagged up signs of abuse? Okay. Now, as a child abuse investigator for many years, one of the things that was consistent when people were abusing children was the need to chemically cosh them. Now, this has come out in many inquiries and it was one of the mainstays of the IICSA when a chemical known as was used on children at night. They would give them what they used to call a spoonful of jollop or, or a little juice drink, which had a, a very, you know, uh, um, metallic -y taste to it. Well, of course, it was anaesthetizing the children, which would you know result in you know them losing consciousness or, or a strong muscle relaxant which would then facilitate the, the sexual abuse of the child and that came out and the one thing that did was it sort of hardwired the young child's uh, sort of neuro pathways to accepting um you know chemical stimuli so many went on to to, to harbor class a drug addictions and that was you know prompted by the presence of and that, that did come out as well in the um, in the inquiry. And it, then, so if, for example, that little girl, Madeline, then, then had been exposed to, to this level of abuse, then that would have then instantly uh, prompted um, an investigation into the safeguarding of the twins, the other two children, okay? Now, things like this are starting to sort of build up. Um, and there were a lot of people scratching their heads with, with, with this couple as well. And then they, they sort of escalated their their plight. And, and there was some bizarre things. So someone contacted Sky News straight away. And Kate McCann was asked, in her interview, did she contact Sky News? And she refused to answer it. Right Now, as a specialist interviewer, which I was for many years, I even talked specialist interview skills to detectives through from around the globe I, I, i've taught them from the arab states from the caribbean islands um the you know the the british overseas territories and things like that and i also taught um uh, what they call abe achieving best evidence um and special abe so i would teach um child abuse investigators and people who deal with, with the abuse of vulnerable people how to interview vulnerable and intimidated witnesses, you know, children and everything else. Um, there, there's a thing called an inference, which is a common sense decision. Now, an inference is is what the judge uh, can be asked to use uh, during a trial. And an inference can be brought in for failure to, ex to answer questions or to account for, for items held on someone 
uh, or marks and, and scars on the body. So bear in mind, if you've done nothing wrong um, and you want your child fine, where is a problem in, in, in answering a question? So she refused to answer. She, she asked us Sky News if she actually contacted Sky News. The other question she was asked, that, did she medicate her children? Well, why would you ask that? Why would you ask it? You would ask that because there was a relevance to asking that. She refused to answer that question. Again, as an investigator, straight away, I would really be hammering home why. Why, why, why? My interviews sometimes went on over a period of days. I interviewed one guy out of three days, eight hours a day. I could spend a good two hours on that question alone, on a no comment, a no comment. I would then look at, why are you making a no comment? Is it because I would go through every scenario as to why Kate McCann would not answer whether she was medicating her children. And I would put the suggestion to her that, that there was abuse going on with her child. That's why she was medicated. Uh, and I would, without a doubt, and again, see her reaction to that, gauge her reaction. Um, you'd be looking at the body language um, and you'd be looking at, uh, you know, if, if there's an aggressive stance and things like that. And, and it's, it's like what we used to play as a kid, the hot and cold game. So you'd hide something and someone would go near to it and they say, am I hot? Am I cold? Am I hot? Am I cold? And the nearer you got, the hotter it was. And it's the same with this when you interview. This would all be down to, to the professionalism of the, of the interviewing team. Um, again, they seem to have done um, a good job. One of the questions was asked was, was the wardrobe searched? You know, the wardrobe, not only in that room, but in the other room. She refused to answer. Well, you know, what do you, what do people say when someone goes missing? Have you looked under the bed? You know, and this goes to show with, with the example I gave earlier on, where the little girl went missing, you know, they're playing hide and seek. She'd hid under a car. Basic questions. And I said to her brother, what does she do? Oh, she's always hiding in things and under things. Well, there she was under a car. So, um, you know, she was asked about the curtains by the sofa being tampered with, you know, the curtains by the sofa, which allegedly is where the little girl fell in, in a subdued medicated state and, and maybe fatally injured herself in that fall and the curtains were by there. So there was a relevance to asking that. Again, hit hard on there, you know. Um, she, she Again, she left the twins to raise the alarm. Why, why would you do that? If a child's been abducted, so-called, so would you then leave your children in the room? when there's already been an abduction, surely you would remove them from the theatre of harm and conflict if that's your genuine hell belief that this kid's been abducted, well, that wolf could come back for the rest of them. She never did that. She never did that. And she was asked, why didn't she do it? Uh, again, no comment, no comment, no comment. She refused to answer many questions regarding the detection of the sniffer dog. And as we've discussed many times on your show in the past, this is the same sniffer dog which had the credibility endorsed by its tremendous work that it did in Hope de la Garing, in the kids' home there, and went on to be of massive servitude to the FBI. And it had an unblemished record there. You know, it's um, a whole service with the FBI went, went ahead with, with, without any incident. Um, the only problems this 
guy ever had and his dog ever had with a credibility is when they were attacked by Kate McCann. She attacked them, tried to attack, you know, the, the credibility of a dog. You know, this dog was beyond question. This is a dog that did its job, you know, and she was turning around, you know, all them brilliant cases that this was the best dog in the business had done. And according to Kate, it was useless. It was no good, you know. Um, so we, we got to look. For me, there would have been huge, huge alarm bells ringing. Um, I would have really made a play on so many um, points here. Um, but again, it, it worked out there were 48 questions. Um, I don't know why she, she didn't uh, stand trial. She didn't get charged and stand trial in, in, in Portugal. And, you know, therefore, had that been the case, they could have brought this up. I don't know if the inference system happens in a Napoleonic court, because that's what it is. The presumption is different. It's the opposite. We have God's law, which is common law. The presumption of innocence, Napoleonic law, is the opposite to that. However, when we look at, at the Istanbul uh, Convention, you know, why was she not arrested for the offence of allowing death or serious injury? Okay. Um, 14 years. 14 years. Cruelty to a child, which, which includes ill treatment and abandonment. Again, 14 years. 14 years, you know, that, that she could have faced that had she had been found culpable of this. And then concealing of a body. There was evidence that, that there had been a transference of that body from the suspected place of death because death had been detected. Let's get this right. Death had been detected by the dog, the cadaver dog, and had been detected in the uh, the Renault McGann car or whatever it was that they'd hired. Um, John, John can, you stop you there? can I just stop you there? Because the, the rebuttal for the rental car thing is that the car was hired after the death. What, yeah. what, what, do you, what do you say to that? Well, what I say to that, that that could have been that the body had gone to one location okay and then had been moved to another location okay so that that would be my way of looking at that but either way the audit trail of descent was there the dog knocked on it they call it knocking it gave a knock to that um and and, and that's where it went so there John, was is, the... it, is, it, is it possible that if something was at the death scene but got moved to the rental car it would have took the scent of the death scene with it. Um, maybe. I mean, there, there's many things because the, the dog can't tell you. All the dog will detect is the scent of that child, that unique child, and and it's deaf. So, you know, their noses are that accurate. So, you see, what happens, uh, you know, at the scene of say like a burglary, right? If there is uh, an item of clothing that's been ditched, that will be given to the dog, and the dog will then have that unique scent and we'll use it to then pursue wherever so it will pick up the scent of whoever was you know in a burglary or a scene of a major crime and it will then pursue it okay there will be no um uh mistaking it you know and arguing and mix it up it, it was a bit like a unique dna it's got that dna scent and off it goes so the dog has done the same it, it, it's, it's detected the, the scent in that flat 
and then later on it, it's it's gone to that car and it's gone to that car unprompted if when you see the video there there are cars in an underground car park and it goes straight up to that one straight up to it and it's knocking on that that car boom 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 and it's for the dog hander then to explain the you know the mo the modus operandi of that dog and how it was trained and what it's trained to do you see so that's how they um they get it but you know that's something that they they would have to argue out in court but i i think that there was enough for the matter then to be taken uh to a court you know um i i said from earlier on well why are they wasting their money that the, the kid in my opinion is dead he's dead he's gone and like this concalvis guy um he's turned around and said well we're not looking for anyone else uh there was one guy i know bless him he's now passed away and he ran a group um regarding the, the mccann thing he, he ran a a facebook group and he really looked into it and he'd even gone out uh to, to that region and to, to that uh, policing um, uh, district and he met up with the investigation team and they actually let him in to look at some of the paperwork and the, you know the lead officer at the time turned around to him and said we're, we're not looking for anyone else you know your police know who, who, who killed this child and um, look no further than the family and that's what the police officer said there was no need for us to go look in and that's maybe why the police didn't put in this roadblock because they knew what had happened they knew that you know this child wasn't abducted like i said before child abductions account for 500 missing children a year okay out of out of the uh i don't know i think it's something like seventy thousand reports annually so out of that 75 70 000 or whatever we know that one child every three minutes is reported missing most turn up a home they're not harvested and ritualistic purposes and all that which which some people might think is a case listen if seventy thousand kids went missing every year and never turned up we by 10 years time we wouldn't have any children left in in the uk you know and that's that it would be like the battle of the Somme every single year for children so forget that crazy way of looking at things so most of it it is to do with the family the family court issues and apart from that the, the 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 crime exploitation element which i have mentioned that does go on most of them do come back um 500 cases of child abduction every year most of them are, are to do with acrimony family court familial uh disputes and things like that okay so it's a very small percentage of child abductions i don't know what the statistics for portugal are or for that region of portugal i would have thought the capital city would be a lot higher than it is the these lower areas um uh, and again this tourist i would have thought is almost unheard of so why now should they they be looking at that okay these things do happen but it, it's so minuscule that that it's it's not worth them putting all that that effort on it what is more likely is that like 80 percent of all child abuse occurs within the home so what is more likely is something's gone on with the family um and then when we look at the evidence that, that we've just had and the fact that the pope was contacted gordon brown was contacted 
they try to denigrate the detective, the dog handlers. The dog gave a positive hit, a positive hit on what's gone on. And then you've got 48 questions that, that a so-called grieving mother um, who is a victim and not a suspect has refused to answer. Why would anyone who's not a suspect refuse to answer questions? And these aren't sexually intrusive questions. You know, that they're, they're not questions that, that, that are in some way trying to entrap, you know, the person. These are open questions, very open questions. There is no hidden agenda. These aren't multi-layered questions. You know, there's no closed question. These are open questions that were, were asked in what looks like a very professional manner, refused to answer it. So all of that put together, it really starts to stink. Um, and then when we come on, on to, you know, this case of this Julia Wendell, this 21-year-old um, chubby Polish girl, who, let's get it right, has made three previous allegations that she's an abducted child. You know, she's a Fruit Loop. And... Um, how anyone could have believed that she was Madeleine McCann, it, it just defies logic. I mean, this just goes to show how, not, I don't you know, want to denigrate anyone, but how thick some people are. You know, there was no way that that was Madeleine McCann. It wasn't, it, what a load of nonsense. Can I read you know? Julia's statement, John, and get your thoughts on it? Yeah, of course. All right, so this statement was issued by Dr. Fia Johannesson, a private investigator and psychic medium who has been assisting Julia. And the official statement is, Julia's test results are back. We finally know the reality. Although it is impossible to tell for sure without the parents' DNA results on either side, the test results speak to the origins of Julia's roots. The test results reveal that she is 100% Polish with negligible influence from Lithuania and Russia. The DNA results did not show any connection to British or German roots. The story is more complicated than a simple girl from a small town in Poland making a claim to get attention. She truly believed what she was saying. And with so many questions about her childhood, it is easy to understand where she was coming from. What is amazing is her parents' refusal to resolve this nagging question for Julia. In any case, upon the revelation, she decided to be back with her dad. I personally wish her well. Well, it, it it sort of doesn't. I mean, nagging doubt. What are they inferring that the parents know or don't know? They he hasn't gone into that. Um, back with a dad and not with a mum. So that would suggest that there is some sort of um, domestic upheaval there. Um, it has come out, and again, this guy's written it. You know, part of his qualifications there. Get me if I'm wrong. Was psychic medium. Um, that there's uh, a fellow I know that runs a cadaver sniffer dog. Um, uh company and they do a lot of work with a lot of um the the foreign police forces i think they may have worked out in portugal and stuff like that and um you know of course some of the stuff that i've done i've had a lot of psychic mediums get in touch with me um they've never been accurate um i'm not knocking it but they've never been accurate and he said be careful john he said and he gave me this example and he said, we have been working on the Moors murders case uh, using the cadaver dogs on the Moors. And he said, we have been constantly contacted by psychic detectives. Now, the Yorkshire Moors, right, um, 
they're, they're, they're just miles and miles of square mileage of, of rough, rugged, uh, you know, farmland, you know, uh, grazing land and stuff like that. I, I don't think you can put any arable crops on it because it is just, you know, the hills and granite and, and slate and stuff like that. And and he said, they keep saying, they all say the same thing. Oh, I can see a body and it's by a stone wall and an iron gate. And he said, have you ever been on the, the auction wars? There must be a million stone walls and 10 million iron gates. You know, it, there, there is nothing specific at all. It's, it's, um, and I, um, I had a um, picture of, of, of a kid. I know how this kid died. Um, uh, very tragic death. Uh, the kid is still shown as a as a missing child um, because the authorities won't accept how, you know, or won't take on the narrative of how this kid died. I know how he died. Um, Anyway, it's all been passed on to the relevant police force. And this was coming back many, many, many years. right? And I have a picture and I send it to any psychic detective that contacts me. I send it to them. I said, look, please, can you, can you get with your groups, your medium circle or, or whatever it is you do and see what you come up with? Um, not one has ever come near to Not one has ever come near to it at all. Um, and, and what they do is that they um, they Google the kid's name and I end up with the, this is what we got from our group and it literally is a cut and paste of a, of a newspaper clipping. And I've had that twice now from Soap to say, this is how we think he died. And it is literally a cut and paste of, of when this kid's body was found. So, you know, the credibility of that report, it, it, it's vague. It, it doesn't really give away too much. Um, all it just says is this, this girl is from... Uh, Poland and Polish heritage with maybe a little bit of um, transference from the neighbouring countries which are Lithuania and Russia and if we go back far enough they were all part of the same state anyway you know Lithuania was up till recently part of the USSR and, and Poland did come under the jurisdiction of, of, of that you know that whole communist sort of union anyway so kill surprise there's no there's nothing new there at all um, the, you know, and is there any inferring there that that this girl might have mental health problems? I think she probably has. So, and she's done it three times before. So, you know, clearly she shouldn't be touched with a barge pole. And look, Operation Grange, um, thirteen million pound. You know, I, what should be done is a freedom of information request on, on what countries have these officers gone to to look into spurious allegations. They've even had some... Hope you're enjoying this podcast. There's a word from our sponsor, Rocket Money. The other day, I had to cancel free Amazon Prime memberships. I had a personal on the UK, Amazon, US, Amazon, company account, US, Amazon, UK, Amazon. Do you understand how hard it is to cancel these bloody things? That's why Rocket Money makes these things so much easier, formerly known as Truebill. The app shows all your subscriptions in one place and cancels what you don't want for you. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for. Just like with me, with my four Amazon Prime memberships, you may find out you've been at least double charged for a subscription. To cancel a subscription, all you've got to do is press cancel and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. 
Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. Thank you for supporting our sponsor, Rocket Money. Links in the description box. Cheers. Now, do, do you follow that up or do you not follow that up? Well, if 30 million quid's in the pot, me and my boys, we're going to have a trip to Papua New Guinea. And the police, when they go abroad, they get $100 a day, $100 a day spending money, right? Well, I know what I'd do with $100 a day if I was being flown business class, which they used to. They're not not now, but they used to go business class because it was seen as work. Put in a hotel, um, linking in with the local old bill with $100 a day. Well, you know, your liver's going to get a damn good thrashing while you're out there, whether you find it or not. Um, and then when's the next case? All oh, right, well, let's go here. Let's go there. They've gone to Morocco. They've gone to Australia. They've gone, they've gone this because there's been a huge pot of money there that they need to dip into. And they would be criticised if they didn't go there. And they ain't never going to find it. It's it's a waste of everyone's time and everyone's money travelling around there because they ain't going to find her. You know, she was gone. She was gone that night. She she was alleged went missing. And, and in my opinion, that's that. Draw a line under it. And let's move on. And officially, seven years has passed. So, you know, she can be written off for that. Um, so if they're going to use this guy, this psychic medium guy and whatever, well, why don't they use... Why have the police not gone and, and taken, uh, you know, an official statement from Peter Hyatt? who is the um, the incredible statement analyst. And there's not just Peter Hyatt. You know, the, the, the NCA, the National Crime Agency, and, and the National College of Policing, um, they have lists of profilers. And these people are very similar to Corinne Hutzterbart, where they will analyse the written word in a statement and come up with, with, with a, uh, you know, a finding which is 99.6% accurate. So why are they not just doing that? <clears throat> it makes no sense. Why, why has Kate McCann not polygraph tested, been independently polygraph tested? It's not happened. You know, it's not happened, and that's that. Um, there was um, a woman, uh, I won't go into her name because it's an ongoing child um, uh, family court issue, um, and and she's a good woman, uh, but she was um, had a, two children taken and given to her husband, who who actually she alleged was the abuser, um, and the the finger was pointed at her. And she went and had a polygraph test, and she scored the highest uh, credible sort of um, truthfulness, whatever it is, of any polygraph test that's been conducted by this firm. And she openly says, "Well, that's what I've done," and handed it to the police. And it's the same with with the US uh, and, and Canadian law enforcement, they always give someone the opportunity on severe cases like this to take part in a polygraph test. Um, refusal to do so, it's not compulsory, but refusal to do so is an inference, a common sense decision which can be brought up and, and, and adjudicated on in a Crown Court, such as a no comment uh, answer in, in, in the UK with that. Um, I will never know why she her McCann and, and her husband Gerald, why they they were not investigated on return to the UK. I, I don't understand why they wasn't. And like I said, you know, there are offences, there's two that, that would carry 14 years. And you can see therefore why they, they didn't um 
John, Dude. regarding those offences and those big sentences that you listed earlier, isn't it the case that there would have to be a body for those um, crimes to be charged? Well, well, I mean, they have prosecuted uh, murder without a body, you know, uh, in the absence of a body. That's happened a couple of times in, in missing person cases. And, that, you know, they've gone on the interview evidence and the circumstantial evidence. Um, I would say that, that in respect to, to this, yes, there, there would need to have been a body found um, in order for them to do that. Um, so, therefore, let's up the ante. Let's look at um, did they murder or accidentally kill? So, we'd be looking at manslaughter um, and, uh, and uh, or murder and therefore investigate them for that and see where you go that that would have been you know my as a, as a senior investigating officer if i was given that case that's what i would have done i would have um arrested them uh un, under the extraterritorial jurisdiction um for, for murder of their own child um and then see where we went from there that's how it, it i think it should have been run but um it's the most bizarrest um way of going about things John, there's a theory that Madeline woke up, wandered out, and an opportunist snatched her. What do you think the reality of that is? Well, again, it's negligible, isn't it? Statistically, it's highly negligible. That's not saying that there's not opportunistics out there, because we've seen that with Wayne Cousins. You know, there are predatory files, and we saw that again with, with uh, that this guy Whiting, uh, Roy Whiting, who... Um, who abducted um, a little Sarah Payne. But again, Roy Whiting was a local man and, and this little kid, um, uh, Sarah Payne, was regularly seen walking from, from mum's house to, to grandparents' house. So uh, a local could well have profiled the situation and then waited till the opportunity arose and stayed there. So, I mean, the chances, if... Madeline was constantly throughout that holiday. This would make it more credible to me with that theory. If Madeline, the parents would go on, on the on the piss, as it were, or whatever, at seven o'clock and Madeline would make her own way, you know, as an unaccompanied minor, the short journey from the the, the bar, wherever they were, uh, the tapas bar on their way to, to the flat and put herself to bed, every single night yes i would say that would be a credible avenue to explore but oh, the the basing it on the fact that this girl happened to wake up happened to open the door happened to wander out and happened to, to be unfortunate enough to come across a transient murderer man what are the odds on that i mean I think the odds of alien abduction are probably on a similar par. So I would say no, not at all. It, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I mean, she must be the most unluckiest. Well, she obviously is unlucky because she's not with us, but it doesn't, it doesn't make sense that, you know, there has to be some sort of pattern to it. You know, even, even when things are done in, in, in with, with total malice and, and abhorrence, you know, when, when um, a, a child murderer or, or a, a child sex offender is explaining what they've done and why they've done it, you might not agree with it. Of course you wouldn't. But 
it would make sense. You'd go, yeah, I can sort of see. I'm not saying it's the right what they've done, but I can see why why they've done it. Um, but you now, for me, it, that that sort of um, you know anomaly, an anomaly added on to an anomaly, added on to an anomaly. I think that the truth in that in in that statement there is that the child woke up. I think, yeah, yeah, maybe the child did wake up. And, you know, if if you've taken medication and you regularly take your medication, your body's going to build a tolerance. Um, but also, when you anaesthetise someone, right, you can't have a certain amount of, of general anaesthetics in a year. You're not allowed them because there's a residual element that can affect the next application of that medicine so that you have to have a period of time where you're absolved from it it's gone um but if you keep on hammering that the residual amount's going to build up build up and maybe that could be terminal and maybe that is what the case here is you know uh, or it could be that the, the, the kid did walk up and then got in some difficulty and maybe did climb on the sofa to look out the window or whatever and fell and and injured her neck or, or whatever and mum come home and found this injured child and, and of course panic sets in um, and if that is the case that may account for, for the reluctance to, to answer 48 relevant questions I mean the one that really sticks in my mind why would you then leave the twins and the other thing she didn't do now bear in mind if there is a short distance between their apartment and where the Tapper Seven and her husband are sitting drinking, would you not scream at the top of your voice? You know, Jerry, 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 quick. Well, you know, ah, my, my baby's gone. Would you not do that? But she didn't. Now, again, who knows what trauma does to you, but that would, that would make sense to do that. She never did that. So... John, John, if 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 um, she did come upon a, a body, then for example, um, how much time would it have taken to get rid of that, and and what were the options to get rid of the body, and is is it feasible on the timeline? Well, um, rigor mortis sets in quite quickly, um, so within an hour, that body could be stiffening up, you know, starting to go rigid, and then after it, it does you know, as a body decomposes, um, there's going to be a panic. You know, you, you're going to quickly go through your options and they're very limited at that, at that time. What do you do? Now, there's going to be a point of, 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 of no return. Um, if she screams and summons uh, Jerry over, then the, the alarm's going to go off and the authorities are going to get involved without a doubt. So the moment she makes that public, bang then, then the authorities are getting involved um so what did she do um if that was a scenario i would have thought she would have to go to a partner take him to one side and then say look she's dead she's dead she's dead she's dead and then they would have to quickly start putting together a contingency plan um they would need to get their story straight and everyone in that group would need to see so their group would have needed to get involved in it as well i would have thought now had what, what what would impact that what would be an aggravating factor to that 
had that be a scenario again allegedly was what if that child was a victim of of abuse sexual abuse and what if then as medical professionals they know the procedure regarding the post-mortem and the special post-mortem and the coronial side of the investigation which is now going to take place very very quickly um would that not then be forefront in mind that, that that would show up that there's abuse that there's abuse there's abuse and then that would then lead to, to seizure of, of clothing which you know there might be then semen stains and and or other people's semen stains and dna from other people might be present so there's all these things that you've got to factor in and always take in mind like um put yourself in this desperate mindset any guy or woman who's cheated on their husband their wife their partner and they're coming home and they're caught out something happens i don't know someone's seen them or they've got a love bite on their neck you're in that mindset straight away you're in that panic mindset what do i do quick i'm going to text my mates text my mates and say look i was with you and for a laugh you gave me a love bite with your knuckles like that do, you know, do that send me a text saying sorry for doing that because that's going to be my uh my insurance policy, my get out of jail plan, right? Now, I'm going to give you an example of, of one of these insurance policies. This is a true story and it involved myself. Now, um, uh, there's a guy and he's in Port Way. He's picked up some brown powder from the Afghanistan region of the world, comes over in compressed discs. Right, like that, like that, and they're they're fitted into these long soil pipe, grey plastic soil pipe plumber things on the roof of a plumber's van. And this guy has got, I don't know, let's work it out. It's something like thirty-five million pounds worth of brown. Now, and now he's transporting this, and he's in trouble because he thinks he's being followed. And, and too right, he is being followed. This guy is being followed. And he's been followed by the National Crime Squad, right? Now, he needs to think quick and he needs to think very fast. So what he does is he rings my office, okay? So this guy's on bail to me and I have been tapping him up for information for the last three or four months, right? And I've been offering him all sorts of deals. Come and work for me, come and work for me. And I've got him on, on a charge that he's going to get a minor prison sentence for. Me and him didn't get on. In fact, we nearly had a fight. We were pushing and shouting at each other. So someone had to split us up. It, so it, our relationship is very, very tense and acrimonious. So he don't like me and I don't like him. And I'm looking forward to charging this guy. So he rings up my office. I'm not in work at this, this time. And he's leaving messages and my boss says, oh, what are you doing ringing John? My boss knows me and him had a bit of a bit of a fight. And he sort of, sort of like tells him where to go, but he records it. So what this guy does, he's clever. He's in trouble and I'm his way out. So he rings up the HR department, the personnel department of the CID unit that I'm on. I'm on a specialist unit and he rings them up, gets their number from the Scotland Yard um whatever it is, call centre, and, and he gets through to them. And he gets through to the head of personnel. He says, look, I'm John Wedge's cousin. 
there's been a real terrible bereavement in the family. I know John's on his way into work. I can't get through to his work phone. It must be off. Um, but I've just I've got his work number and I, I I've just changed my phone. I haven't got his 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 old number. I've lost it. It's on my other phone. And this is he he needs to know. This is a very close relative's died, and he needs to know. And you know, I want to pass on the message. I don't want anyone else doing it. Anyway, just sweet talks this woman, and she's like, "Oh, oh, you is um? Can I ring you back?" He says, "Yeah, please ring me back." And so she rings him back on his personal number, gives him my personal number. He then bombards me with calls, boom, 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 messages, calls, messages, calls, messages, calls. And when I get out of the underground, his phone's in. I'm thinking, "What number's this?" I ring it up, and it's him. And he's like, "Hello, John." He has a brief conversation with me, tells me to go to a certain location in the East End of London. And there's going to be something that I want now. So that's that. Anyway, he can then gets pulled over by armed police. Big full-on hit on him. And the moment he's caught, what does he say? He says, I'm an informant for John Wedger. I've been working with John Wedger as a participant in format. He knows all about this. He knows everything about this. Because with the informant, you can't... No one knows what you're doing. It's very secret, covert. It's covert policing. Anyway... Uh, it goes to Crown Court and he sticks to his story. And the Met Police wouldn't, and they don't know if he's an informant. He's not my informant, but they don't know if he's not an informant for anyone else. It's, it's, uh, and they're not allowed to say, right? And he's looking at 30 years. He walks free. He walks free, scot free. And it works. He used me as his insurance policy. And, and one of the old, old school detectives turned around and he said, You've been had over, son. You've been done. He said he's used the oldest trick in the book. He's used you as his insurance policy. He got his story right. I was his contingency plan and it worked. So maybe what's happened, they've, they're intelligent people. These aren't like the Shannon Matthew, you know, um, feckless morons from the, the housing estate. You know, that you know, even <laughs> always made me laugh when um, they interviewed uh, Shannon Matthew, the mother's... Um, can't remember her name now, uh, the mother's best mate. And they're saying, oh, I, I didn't know that Shannon had been tooken. Tooken, you know, I think, really, is that word, tooken? Um, so Shannon Matthews had been tooken. And, and you, you're dealing with two different, you know, sort of genre of people and, and different sides of the scale. Now, you know, these are intelligent people. And, and if they've got deceptive intelligence and, it's not a problem for them. And if there is an involvement with some sort of perverse activities, then that's going to be heightened. And maybe lying is not a problem for them. Um, so they've got their story together. Again, allegedly, we don't know. And they then start, what do you do? You, you call on favours. You call on favours, you know. Um, maybe this is what secret societies do. We call on favours, you know. Listen, I'm in trouble here. Eh? I'm in trouble. You know, and I know that, you know, certain secret societies, they, they do call on a brother in distress. They even say it in their meetings, a brother in distress. We, you know, we're here to help a brother in distress. And and let's go back to the um, the interview that, that one of the parliamentary whips, Tim Fortescue, did um, many years ago when he was going on about um, politicians and, and senior cabinet ministers getting in trouble. And it could be an incident involving a small boy, for example. And that were his words. 
you know, we would work this out. We would, you know, again, spin doctors. They And he's even admitting it at a government level. That's what they do. They get together when a brother is in distress and, and we, we will sort this situation out. We will sort this situation out. Now, maybe this is what they've done. There are people in distress. They, they know that that body is going to decompose and decompose very quickly. There is a need to get that body out and get it out quick. Uh, but there is a need for them to remain on scene because they're going to have to deal with the authorities. And there may be a time delay there, you know, that when it happened or when they actually reported it, maybe there is this time delay. And, or maybe they even slept on it. They slept on it. And then that night they went out. Maybe that is a day late. Who, who, you know, but that might be the case. You know, that this is what we're going to do. We're all going to, and they've cleaned, made that seem totally sterile. And then, boom, the body's been moved. Um, and then, you know, it was removed to a location. And then there might have been another need to move it again. Now, let's, let, let, let's look. Everyone's seen that film, The Goodfellows, haven't they? Goodfellows, you know, Joe Pesci. And there's that scene with Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, and, and the other one, what's his name? Um, he just died, didn't he? He's an actor, the, the good-looking dude who plays Henry Hill, whatever his name is. Um, Ray Liotta, Ray Liotta, right? They they kill that mafia boss and they bury his, his body and they borrow the knife, don't they, from Joe Pesci's mum. And then the next scene is, we've got to go back and dig the body up. They're going to be building on there. So they have to go back and dig up the body. And, it, and it, you know, and it smells. Now, Now I was, uh, a couple of days ago, I, I was in a cemetery and they were d digging uh, a grave and i said to guys how is this a spare plot and they went well it's not but after 100 years and it's 50 years now we, we we digged up the graves if they're not looked after we dig them up and we bury uh the new grave on there and i said well what about the the coffin under there and they went we just put it on top of it so they dug it up and the guy was actually standing on the coffin and he said it's 100 years old and it still stinks the smell was still pungent after 100 years it was still there. So the digging up that body, that, that would have been a strong scent, you know. Um, and if the body was put in that car, well, you know, it would only increase as the bacteria and the gases start to, to ferment and release. It would, and that's why that dog may be when I made that, you know, unambiguous knocking on the car. That That is uh, what happened. So and move it then to another location by that time you know and right well how would you get rid of a body well one of the best ways burn incinerate the thing you know you, you the heat is enough you incinerate it it goes down to a small amount of ash in no way am i advocating you know the the concealment of a body or anything like that but i'm just saying you know um in water water is another good one you know um a rocky shoreline incredibly good because you can't trawler a rocky coastline so bodies do turn up um the north sea every single week they trawler up because it's a flat sandy bottom they trawler up mammoth bones uh, the york the, the norfolk and the north yorkshire fishermen are always pulling up and lincolnshire fishermen always pulling up uh, mammoth bones and things like that and they sometimes pull up um uh, their bodies because we used to get them through on a, on a policing publication 
would come through called the Policing Gazette. It was a national thing that we'd get through. And there would every now and then be a picture of an arm with a tattoo on it. And it was brought up by a trawler boat. And they say, does anyone recognize this tattoo? Um, again, the jurisdiction is 12 miles. Anything outside of 12 miles, international waters. If it's a rocky coast, you're not going to get divers out there unless there's a wreck. Um, and if it's more than 50 meters, recreational divers aren't going to go there. They're not. It's not going to happen. Um, and you, and if it's rocky, you can't you can't fish it. You just can't. So the nets are going to snag. So the chances of a body being uh, fetched up um, from there is is very negligible. And um, you know, once a body is in salt water, um, it's it's going to um, decompose incredibly quickly and and it's the living sea so it's going to be eaten by parasites you know the, the, the bottom feeders are going to make e easy easy meal out of that um it wouldn't last long it wouldn't last long uh, but you need the depth you need a rocky uh, sort of environment weigh the body down because the gases are going to lift it so it's going to have to be weighed down and even um if you look at the testimony, I think the uh, the old East End gangster Freddie Foreman alludes to the fact that bodies may have been taken out by a trawler off the coast of Littlehampton and dealt with that way. I mean, he alludes to that. I'm not putting anyone in in the in the, uh, the brown stuff there by saying that because it's you know that's what was. So it's it's always gone on, and incineration is the other one. If you incinerate, you know that what you're going to have left you, you know, that can be ground up um, and you, you see it in India all the time. They're always having, uh, you know, the funeral pyres, and uh, and a, and a little uh, body isn't going to take much. It's not going to take much to um, to, to get rid of. Uh, so you know that, and you're, you're pretty confident then that that no one's ever going to find it. You know, but you're on a coastline. I would say my best bet would be look to the sea, look to the waters, and um, you know, it's a choppy coastline, and and it is a rocky coastline as well. Um, and your only problem is going to be recreational divers. But I say, if you go out anything over fifty meters, they ain't going to. Um, and and a body within short period of time. See, bodies decompose in the fresh air very quickly. If you leave a body out on on the top of soil, that that will decompose very very quickly. Um, you see that with roadkill. You know, you see a dead deer on the road um, or in a, or in a central reservation. Within a week, the body's blown up. It then pops. Um, putrefying gases come out and then you know the bacteria will, will eat it then you'll get the the parasites the worms the maggots um, and they've got the um, I forget the science of it um, there's a name for people that um, look deal with insects uh, I can't remember but they can they can determine what larvae are in in the cadaver and they can determine the time that it's spent outside um, certain soil types will preserve. If you've got a peaty acidic soil, that will tend to preserve the body a lot longer. Um, then, then, keep going. I'm just changing my battery. Keep going. Then, then an alkaline one would. So there's there's all them all them factors. So who knows? We don't know. And uh, what's more, we'll never know. And, and how many years is it now? Uh, Thirteen years or whatever it is. I mean, it's um, time's gone on. So, the chances of um, of finding it, you know, it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. So, 
So, so John, we interviewed they... David. I- we interviewed David Ike about this, and um, in, in this answer, let, let's refrain from the P word. Let's just say adults attracted to kids. Yeah. Um, so David Ike he proposed that uh, Madeline had been abducted and put into a ring of people who are attracted to kids. Do you think that 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 is any credibility to that? No, no, I'm not saying that 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 she she wasn't in some sort of ring we don't know do we i mean uh but sold into i i i doubt it i i I think it that's quite incredulous in its own right i my opinion is that there there was an accident i'm not saying these are wholesome parents i think they're very deceptive people um you know you can see that in in how their contempt they have for uh, some of the people that have tried to cross-examine them and the contempt they had for the professional investigative team. They had an immense amount of contempt for them. Um, and they went on to try and sue them unsuccessfully and silence them. And then they had a spin doctor. I mean, they, they seem to be on the defence a lot for people that are innocent. I mean, why would you need to defend yourself if you're innocent? Uh, I don't get that one. I don't understand that one. Um but I, I don't go along with that narrative at all. I think the explanation is a lot more simpler than that. Um, the need to get rid of a, of a body, if a body had been subject, uh, you know, during the living years, been subject to sexual abuse, that, that there may well be a need then to get rid of the body. Um, uh, and, and if that body then did contain, uh, you, you know, medication that, that was um, knocking them out. You know, so analgesic medication or whatever that would come through from a toxicology uh, and a chromatography sort of um, uh, analysis. So uh, they would be things which would then put you in to to the to these topics. So again, let's look at the the fourteen year sentences. We have got the offence of allowing the death or or serious physical harm. So if death has occurred as a result of medication uh, and a fall, serious harm, and then death. 14 years in the UK so there's a need not to get caught for that one concealing the body of a child again I don't know what the, the prison sentence for that is but it's going to be high um, that that as well so if the body's then so they, they could well have copped that one if they'd have done that uh, cruelty to a child you know so we're looking at ill treatment well medicating the child that would be ill treatment unnecessary medication of a child and again abandonment there is a clear case of abandonment here a clear case of abandonment so what and also what if there was further uh, evidence of medication so again there would be a need to sterilize the crime scene and get rid of any medication so the scenario could well have been again, again, again. This is hypothesising and everything else that maybe death didn't occur on that night. Here is a word from today's sponsor, Aura. If you Google someone, you can find out all kinds of personal information about them. This information is accessible because of data brokers who profit by selling your information to robocallers, telemarketers, spammers. You can use my link: https dot dot forward slash forward slash aura.com aura is a-u-r-a forward slash sean atwood s-h-a-u-n-a-t-t wood to try two weeks for free and see how many data brokers are sharing your info also linked in my description box on this youtube version or scan the qr code on the screen
Aura also monitors your emails and passwords to see if they were involved in a data breach and exposed on the dark web and gives you the recommendations on what to do. Aura has almost every internet safety tool you'll ever need all inside one app. Maybe if death occurred the night before or something like that, which is something that's been proffered up in the past, that would get your story straight and get rid of any medication. Get rid of any medication, you know. Um, things like, I don't know, Zopiclone and, uh, you know, these sort of um, uh, things that are used for... for um, insomnia and stuff like that i don't I, I, I it's not my well but um so there is there is a need if you're in the wrong um to get your story straight um, i mean and, and these are serious offenses without even going down the path of murder manslaughter and child abuse whether that was sexual or otherwise which could could have well have been the case but no i don't agree with with, with what david ike has said there but again i don't know i mean might be the case, who knows? I don't know. So, John, there's a theory that it could have been done by somebody who knew their routine, and there was a story came out a few days ago that kind of indicates that staff at the hotel knew their routine. I'll just read you this and get your thoughts on it. So, um, the story says, almost 16 years since McCann disappeared, her parents have revealed a few details which forced them to lose track of the girl, sharing a fact that was allegedly overlooked in 2007. Madeline's mother, Kate, believes that her daughter's disappearance is connected with the reservation book at the Ocean Club restaurant. The kids' parents took turns to check on their daughter every 20 or 30 minutes while having dinner around 8.30. However, at 10, they discovered that Madeline was no longer in bed. According to the New York Post, Kate complained that anyone working at the restaurant knew that the children were alone at their rooms while parents were having dinner. The group had previously reserved the same table with the best view of the apartments. Quote, to my horror, I saw that, no doubt, in all innocence, and simply to explain why she was bending the rules a bit, the receptionist had added the reason for our request. We wanted to eat close to our apartments as we were leaving our young children alone there and checking on them intermittently. She wrote in her book, Madeline, Our Daughter's Disappearance. What do you think about that? Well, again... You, you know, they're blaming, they're blaming the, the low-hanging fruit, aren't they? They're blaming some poor little chambermaid. Um, you know, everyone's got got a routine. Well, there is a routine, but are they routinely saying that they routinely leave their child routinely to go on the piss and leave their kids indoors? I mean, you know, they're in the wrong. Not not someone, you know, later in going in their time machine and putting, you know, an addition into some sort of um, day book journal, um, which, which could be some, seen as some form of malfeasance. But, you know, was it time stamped at the, in the end of the day? So how do they know whether they did or they didn't? Um, but we're missing the point here. You know, they they saw the flat from where they were, were eating and drinking. Well, why eat and drink while well, you've got infant children no baby children and and an infant why do that you know why do that so it, it just doesn't make any sense any sense from the start i mean she's in the wrong to start with and now she's blaming some chambermaid for for, for scribbling in the book you know um post event you know again it's picking low-hanging fruit it's it's a total nonsense well of course she's going to say that you know what what, what does um someone who's attracted to children always say 
they victim blame. They turn around and say, look what you made me do. You made me do this. You made me do this. You're dirty. Look what you've done. You made... They victim blame. And this is what she's doing. She's victim blaming. She's blaming someone lower down the food chain uh, because she can, because she's a bully. And, and she's despicable. It's just disgusting. And, and it shouldn't be given any credence whatsoever. I mean, all them years of, of interviewing people that, that are, you know, um, suspected of, of abusing their own children. How many times, Sean, do you think when, when I started that tape and said, um, excuse me, Mr. So-and-so, did you um, R-A-P-E your own child? And they went, oh, yeah, I did that. Uh, and not only that, John, I've done it many times before. Not once. Not once. You know, oh, I love kids. I'd never hurt my kids. I think kids are brilliant. And if I knew anyone doing that, I'd be the first one to tell you. You know I would, you know. I mean, look at that interview they did with that guy, Mick Philpot, who set fire to the house and killed his children. Oh, I want to catch the bastard who did this. Oh, I want to get, you know. It's the same nonsense. And that's what she's doing. She's doing the same as Mick Philpot, doing the same old nonsense. She's victim blaming. And... Uh, no way. It doesn't wear. She can say what she wants, can't she? Let's look at the ladder of deception. You know, at the top, we've got the abuse, the murder and the abuse of children. That's at the top. Top lad rung, number one, right at the top, right at the bottom, we've got lying. Really. Is that such a big hurdle to step over the lie? You know, when people are so fickle, because they say, well, well, Kate's always denied it. Oh, is that how our justice system works then, is it? The police ask you a question, you deny it, the case gets closed. Let's move on and not waste £13 million of taxpayers' money. It doesn't work like that. You know, there's a thing called lying and deception. Do you know what I mean? And there's a thing called the burden of proof, of which we've got the highest in the world, and the police need to do their job. And the, the officers on, on Operation Grange need to do their job. And actually... The, the commissioner, Mark Rowley, needs to do his job and shut the thing down and put money where it is purely needed, £13 million. You know, how many kids that are suffering horrific domestic abuse, sexual abuse, and, and those that, that, that do become a statistic and die, as we've seen with cases like Daniel Pelka, and many others that get battered to death by a step-parent, £13 million could go a long way to preventing that and stopping saving lives that way instead of mincing around for, for this, you know. Or spend £13 million investigating and, and let's go, let, you know, Mark Rowley, please, go and, go and arrest um, Kate and Jerry McCann for the offence of allowing the death and serious harm to the child, Madeline. Go and arrest her for concealing of a body. Uh, go and arrest them for cruelty to a child with the ill treatment and abandonment. Go and arrest them for, for the murder of Madeline. Go and arrest them for the manslaughter. And 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 what you what you do for that, Mark, I'll give it a heads up. Use the Istanbul Convention um, uh, in respect to extraterritorial jurisdiction. Uh, do that and then spend your 13 million quid wisely in looking into the merits of that. Ask for the um, analysis of the likes of Peter Hyatt or a UK equivalent of which there are many. Um, to do that and let's see where we go and and you know the sterling work that, that some of these um, little armchair detectives have done um, putting together information they've done some cracking work you know and, and not, none more so than that guy Richard D Hall with that um, uh, documentary embedded confessions absolutely outstanding bit of independent uh, investigative journalism I think I've ever seen 
unbelievable. Richard D. Hall, if you're watching this, you know, whatever you do for the rest of your career, you, you'll never outshine that. That was, you know, from an ex-detective, that was 100% pure gold what you did there. Um, so that's where I would start. Um, and, you know, and that's my opinion. I think I've sort of um, been quite unambiguous with that. You know, a detective's job is to look at information which goes towards and away from. And let, let's let's not get, you know, look at this as well. What jurisdiction has a UK police got in sending their own Pulsar police uh, search advisor officers out there? No jurisdiction whatsoever. They weren't invited out there under international treaty, under the Istanbul Convention and other working together um, Interpol agreements. They wasn't invited out there to do it. They had no right to send their cadaver dogs out there to do it. They're investigators for the last 13 years, you know, lording it up at the taxpayer's expense in the sun. The family liaisons going out there millions of times or whatever, you know, they had no jurisdiction at all to do that. The the people that was that were appointed, and it was free, it, it cost the UK taxpayers nothing. It would have saved us 30 million pounds. What was Eduardo Concalves and his sterling team of detectives, you know, in the police, um, uh, it was a police, I can't remember the name of it now. Um, anyway, they're, um, they're, they're, they're national police investigators. They were doing it and they came to the right conclusion. You know, in my opinion, they came to it. And, and like them, um, why should we be looking at anyone else? We've got the suspects clearly in our sights. Let's, let's do our job properly and let's, put speculation on the shelf once and for all and arrest the McCanns and and do a fair investigation in the UK um, with, with all the information available. And then if the CPS say no, then I think everyone can put it to rest then, can't they? But but not even to, to interview them. Disgusting, disgraceful, appalling and a letdown. So... It's, I think I, I think I know what I think I know, John. What you're going to say about the German suspect? Yeah, again, it's just a waste. The whole thing, you know. Um, and there was another one, wasn't there? Wasn't there a South African one as well? Uh, another guy, Murat. Is that this guy, Murat? Um, Robert Murat. Uh, you know, and there's all sorts of things have cropped up. So, give well, well, we'll give that over to the. Um, the Portuguese police and let them do their job. You know, why are we poking our noses in? Let them do their job. Um, and let's see where we go from there. I mean, there's still that outstanding case of the, the, the kid in Corfu and it, Ben Needham, or, or whatever Greek island it was that went missing all them years ago. It, it, there's loads of cases of, of missing kids that could do with, you know, with it. you know, I worked on the streets of London We've run away kids and all that in the police for years and years and years. And, you know, there's that interview I did with, with that um, lovely guy. I can't remember his name will come to me in a minute. Um, and he said that, you know, when he was a rent boy, he would meet up with this gang of five other kids and they would um, uh, every Christmas and have a little drink. And then they went out to, 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 to do what they did, which was, you know, uh, procuring themselves for the purpose of sexual exploitation. And um, one, one day he said they weren't there. He went there Christmas to meet him. They all went and were never seen again. Young boys, teenage boys, you know, that in his opinion, they were murdered. 
they were murdered um never to be seen again uh there's that other guy um oh his name was come what's his name what's his name uh do 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 oh uh, again my, i'm getting crazy with names at the moment but it, it will ping up in a minute is his name and uh uh he, he he gives his account of when um uh he was told when he was on the streets of london as, as a young runaway a male prostitute rent boy where, where he was um picked up by two guys in a white rolls royce and he was told by one of the other street kids don't get in there because the last kid that did um they murdered him we never saw him again and and this fella was then paul paul Halpin, his name is paul Halpin, and uh, paul went on to say that you know what they did to him they they left him for dead they ruined his his lower colon in his intestine and two two wealthy brothers in a white rolls royce that lived in the Hampstead region of 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 london and the last kid before him was never seen again you know suspected of being murdered um in some vile sex game never seen again so these things go on doom 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 and you know two girls in the case i was dealing with ended up uh being murdered as well so you know i'm accustomed to it i know it goes on uh did they spend 13 million quid on them cases no they didn't of course they didn't like i said statistically one and a half thousand pound is spent on every missing child in 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 policing resources one and a half thousand pound so how the mccann's um milk this for 13 million and, and money is given unquestionably by by the home secretary each time and keeping operation grain and officers on on overseas deployments um you know they've not come up with anything after oh, well over a decade what makes them think they're going to do that yeah yeah what's that that um uh definition of of insanity in it doing the same thing time and time again yet expecting a different result and this is what we're seeing. We're seeing, you know, criminal justice insanity by those that are commanding Operation Grange. It's, um, it's disgraceful. And, and I think people should start lobbying um, the Home Secretary to, um, to, to call this to an end. It's just gone on too long now. John, were you in the London police when the, the death of Princess Diana was announced? Yes, I was. I was, uh, you know, um, and I was um, I actually remember when when the the CAD, so it was, it was the, the police computer uh, when the CAD message came through, and uh, funny enough, we the, the police station I was working at, at the time we had um, a station reception officer called Diane, and the the CAD controller called us all in and said, "Look, we've got some bad news. Di Diane has been killed," and I thought Diane, the uh, station reception girl had been killed been you know i said oh my god what happened and they said well she was you know something to do with a tunnel in paris and i thought what's she doing there she's meant to be in the front office at the at the nick and we all got deployed to the uh uh to the gates of buckingham palace because i was in the west end at the time uh so yeah i remember it i remember it well and what did you hear what was the official version well i'm gonna let you in on something now so again i've got to be very careful with what i say but i did work with an officer that was senior in the investigation on that and he said to me if anyone thinks it was an accident they're an idiot and he said the public gets what the public wants the public wanted this inquiry it's a waste of time and a lot of the evidence he said is 
it was all sort of um well not manufactured but it was so well rehearsed and uh and, uh, and i was told that um on no circumstances was they to uh get paul burrell into the stand um he was not to give evidence but um there was a lot of briefings i think john stevens was a commissioner at the time and he would have a lot of meetings with the teams and with the um michael mansfield regarding the evidence but yeah one of the one of the senior officers in that case again i've got to be careful what i say he did say to me once you know in a quiet conversation if anyone thinks that that woman was um uh died in a, an accident they're an idiot so that's uh, that's what i heard with your knowledge experience and everything we know to date what is your gut telling you happened i think she was murdered um and i'm going to tell you something else um there was, she was linked to quite a few extramarital affairs. And I think there was a couple of police officers that, that she ended up sort of having sex with or whatever, I don't know, uh, intimacy. Like bodyguards, with. protection police, was it? Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing, the royalty protection. And and one of them, uh, he died in, he was um, part of the royalty protection thing, but it was a motorbiker, again, an experienced motorbiker. And coming into work one day, there was an accident in which he was killed outright. Uh, he was um, fell off his bike and, and he died as a result. Um, an experienced motorcyclist, and I think he'd, he was connected to Diana, but it was outside the MI6 building it occurred. And a traffic officer told me this. He said it was the weirdest um, crime scene that he'd ever gone to. It was very strange, and it turned out that this guy was connected with, with Lady Diana in, in, in an intimate way, bang, taken out. So uh, for me, that to, for anyone to say that these things don't happen, well, it's absolute nonsense. They do happen. I know I'm living testimony of, of how far the police will go. Um, and that's, that's nothing to do with intelligence services. They will go further. Um, and they do go further, in my opinion. You know, there, there's um, another uh, incident that, that I can recall in which um, a woman was in the custody once and uh, she was a witness um, under protection and it was to do with an MP um, that she'd exposed uh, quite a high, well, a very well-known MP, in fact. Um, and uh, she had exposed this MP and there was a contract put on her life by this MP and it was credible, so credible that she was under witness protection. And this MP had a contract put out now and the intelligence services knew about it and special branch knew about it. So there's a lot that goes on, you know, and of course the police are going to die. Of course they're going to deny it. And anyone who thinks just because someone denies it, well, how stupid are they? Like we mentioned earlier on. So what do you do? You interview someone, they deny it and that's accepted. You know, we can just forget about it and move on. I mean, Oh, come on, come on. It's, um, Again, look at weapons of mass destruction. You know, you, you had that Colin Powell standing there with this little vial of something saying, I've got this chemical in here. It's, we've got it. It, it was nothing new. It was probably his own spit or something. I don't know. And it turned out it was a lie. It was a lie. He was lying. He was lying. And everyone else, Condoleezza Rice, all that, all lying, all backing it. Yet people were like, there was a guy I worked with. He's a good guy, but he was in the military um, before the police, and they dragged him back in because he was a, in a, he, he was in the special forces, you know. And he said to me, oh, "We've just had a briefing, and Saddam Hussein is keeping 
there's chemical weapons in schools, underneath schools and underneath hospitals. And that's what they told these elite soldiers and, and, and many others in their briefing. It was a lie. They lied to them. The intelligence. They, were, is, said, they said, I remember that. I was a, a young person at the time. I remember the news headline. It was um, Saddam's soldiers were grabbing babies out of incubators. Yeah. 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 I know. And, you know, we, we've just seen it again with the last madness that went on in society and so many people believed it and we were all meant to be dead. We were all meant to die of AIDS. Acid rain was meant to strip all the Scandinavian pine forests. We were shown pictures of fish dead on Scandinavian lakes. The acid rain was going to dissolve the House of Parliament because it was sandstone by the year 2000. Well, that never happened. Um, deforestation at the rate of a country the size of Wales was occurring in the Amazon and in 10 years time there, there was going to be no Amazon left. You can fly five hours in a jet over Amazonia and still be over it. Right, five John? hours in a jet. So, John, uh, if you said that um, you think that there was foul play then with Diana's death. What would the motive have been? I, I think, you know, the devil does things for more than one reason. Uh, there's things that she was saying which might be out there but a bit too much for people to sort of take in but she was going on about that 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 the royal family aren't human that they manifest into bizarre things you know there was that uh she was linked to, to a lot of psychic counseling she was going through uh with, with, with these psychic healers and things like that disclosing a lot of stuff to them um Again, if we want to take this down, you know, you're saying about David Icke, he does allude to things like this, just supernatural element to it. I mean, who knows? I don't know. But um, so there's that coming out. I mean, she was criticising uh, Prince Philip and all sorts. I mean, I mean, and look at Prince Charles. You know, the, there's been rumours regarding him and his activities. His best friend was Bishop Peter Ball. Bishop Peter Ball would convict. They don't want to hear it. They're, that don't go on. That's rubbish. That's nonsense. And again, especially with stuff involving Ted Heath, uh, you know, and, and the evidence that Mike Veal put out before him. Again, you know, they, they went out to ruin, denigrate and rubbish Mike Veal because he was talking the truth regarding Ted Heath. So, you know, it's frustrating. Um, but John, do you yep. think that, that Prince Harry, you know, obviously he would know a lot more than the public pertaining to his mum, do you think that he suspected foul play and that was one of the reasons that he moved to California away from 100%. the Royals? 100%. I think he's he's uh, not only verbally distancing himself in things he's saying about family, he's now physically distancing himself. So he he's displaying a distance and he displays it in his language as well um, towards his family and, and that. So this is a man who wants to distance himself from from that um reality and without doubt and i think he's doing it to protect his missus as well um and i think one day he'll speak out and i think one day he will tell the truth um if they don't get to him i i, I put faith in this this kid i reckon um he will one day tell the truth because he's got this book out called spur and he's very resentful towards camilla yeah yeah well i I, I think it would take someone to um, to look at his interviews, transcribe them, and analyse it. And I think if you was to analyse his interviews, you, you'd um, you, you'd you'd go um, 
a long way in, 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 in seeing the truth come out and what he says. Um, my next question was then, uh, what, what do you think about Harry's relationship with Meghan Markle? Yeah, I don't, I don't know, to be honest. I don't pay much attention to it, um, to that side of it. Um, I've got no interest in it. Um, they, they seem an odd place couple, but, you know, um, I, I'll tell you one thing I, I know. I knew um, uh, a girl I used to work with, a, a, a police officer I worked with years ago, and um, every year uh, there's like the badminton horse trials and um, uh, that uh, Harry would, would go to them, you know, and uh, we just he'd mix with the public and all that and you know and she said he's he's a real wild one you know there was a lot of drinking rumors of going on i think well he's i think he's mentioned that anyway but she said he's just like any sort of um crazy pisshead really she said he was very very down to earth and a bit of a lad um so these protection officers they see it all you know um they witness it all and they do say things, and I've had uh, a few things said to me about a couple of rules by, by a couple of protection officers. I do get information come my way, but I can't do anything with it. I can't. What can I do with it? I just know. Um, I know what I know. I know that, um, I, I, let's just say this, that um, there's not many I've heard positive things about. I've, I've heard very negative things about Sarah Ferguson, very negative, appalling things about her. Um and uh andrew and charles and i have um mainly charles a lot of very negative things about him and and i, I wouldn't want him uh you know uh reigning over me I, I think he's a despicable man but you know i can't say any more than that all right huge thank you john and do you want to let the viewers know where they can find you online and support you and follow you yeah uh what i'm doing sean I, you know uh, I'm pretty much working like a submarine now in more ways than one. You know, um, I, I was advised years ago uh, by our good uh, our good profiling friend that, you know, pop up every now and then, show the world you're there, and then go back under and do your work covertly, which is what I've done. Um, I could not maintain the impetus before of going out there and doing these interviews. I could not cope with the um, the, the nutters, to be honest, the nutcases. I can't. It's, and I don't want that. My ego didn't want it as well. And, you know, I was going down the road and everyone was recognising me and pat me on the back for a job well done, which was good. But, you know, my ego, I was becoming a, a big head and, and I didn't want it. I didn't want it. I work a lot with very damaged kids now, very damaged kids. Um, I'm on minimum wage doing that. I've done that for a few years now. And I also uh, work with um, trying to keep um, young lads out of prison and 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 into employment and and i've been doing that for a little while now and and i i love it i really like it and i have uh, a campaign i do the odd um interview every now and then um uh i've been asked to do a documentary with channel four and there's something that should be coming out with netflix as well it's been something like four years in the making um so that'd be interesting when that comes out as on a very interesting topic indeed and i've got a campaign it's called psad p-s-a-d and it's pants women against depression and throughout the coldest winter days um from uh, christmas day last year right the way through till this morning i'm still going up. i've been swimming in my pants at every opportunity 
some of it's live, some of it's pre-recorded. In the UK waters, I've done one in Holland the other day in the North Sea, and I've been uh, promoting the unparalleled benefits of cold water therapy, and it's really aimed at, uh, at men. Seventy-five um, percent of all suicides are, are by men. Men it, from their late twenties till their middle age, um, it hits them hard. It's um, there's, uh, I think, fifty thousand suicides a year, um, and seventy-five percent of them are men. So that's an incredible amount of um, of suicides every single year, and it, it, it's. Suicide should never be an option. So I do the PSAG campaign and I'm basically showing that the cold water therapy is it, it's brilliant. It's phenomenal. It's ancient. It's holistic. It's free. You know, it's organic. It's whatever you want it to be. It is. It, and it, is, it's, it promotes, stimulates the body into weight loss. It, it stops addiction. It raises endorphin levels. Um, it... it just regenerates reinvigorates resets it does a whole lot all in one and for you know that initial little freeze your body gets which i now am addicted to um it's it's turned me off and it's been the best thing i've ever done so i would uh, encourage people if you're not a good swimmer don't swim but there's nothing stopping you plunging in in the cold water i've done it in the thames twice um you know, I don't worry about the sewage thing. It, it don't interest me. I'm still here. I think we put enough chemicals in our bodies to worry about that. Um, just crack on and do it. I'm still here. I'm not caught polio, leptospirosis or anything. I, I've never been healthy. So so if they could follow my PSAD campaign, put it out there. And um, and that's that. I, you know, I'm, I'm out there. People can still get hold of me. My email is jonwedgerfoundation at gmail.com. I've not got... Um, a website anymore uh i'm on facebook uh i'm on tiktok um i'm on linkedin so if you want me on there but i'll keep i keep going sean i don't stop you do look very healthy john congratulations and all that's really inspirational yeah yeah i'll tell you since i've been doing it i've gone down uh, three notches in my bell I've, I've stopped smoking i hardly ever drink now um you know it's just it's and that is all down to cold water therapy it's it's brilliant wow. i can't i cannot i cannot um say enough mm -hmm. you you do it once and the the euphoria lasts for three days and that's it and it's um there, there is no downside to it all of john's links will be in the description box below this video if you're watching it on youtube so please go down and support his important work and let us know in the comments what you think and if you want to watch the other five podcasts we've done with john I'll put them links in the description box and the band content, like I said at the beginning, is over on Rumble. Huge thank you for spending so much time with us as usual, John. Cheers. No way. Cheers, Sean. God bless. Take care. Thank you.